Hello, and welcome back to This is Modern Rock, the podcast that takes a look at the modern rock charts one month at a time. I am Will Westerkow, and joining me today is Orly. Oh, yeah. Hi, Orly. <laughs> Hi. It's been a while. Oh, my gosh. So long. Yeah, the show's been on a bit of a break while uh, the world has gone crazy. It's insane. You know? We don't need to get into it. Yeah. But thankfully, I have constructed my COVID-safe recording studio. I've put up the plexiglass sheet. Yeah. I've installed the um, interrogation lights for mood. <laughs> that is how we feel down here. Yeah. And I, you know, we got the the gloves. The gloves. The mask. We're good. Yeah. Anything new? This is podcast like radio, so no one knows, you know, what I look like. Mm -hmm. But We can imagine. <laughs> I got my braces taken off. I was like walking around with full adult braces for two years and I just, I had those taken off. That was pretty special for me because I was supposed to get them taken off the day the state shut down. Right. So then I had them on months extra. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. Oh, and I've started dancing. Oh, what kind of dance? Just anything I can get my feet on. <laughs> So floor dancing. Yeah, I'm yeah. taking theater dance classes. I took some Latin-inspired dance class and a burlesque dance class. Yeah. Just having a good time. Cool. Let's talk modern rock. Okay, let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, we've got four songs as usual. This is July 1991 that we're looking at today. Okay. This is one heck of a month on the modern rock charts. Okay. And in fact... I am splitting July 91 into two separate episodes. Dang. Yes, dang indeed. It's that hot of a month. It's that hot of a month. Well, <laughs> it's not that hot of a month, but there are some unusual things going on on the charts that I thought were worth talking about. Twice the amount of time. Twice the amount of time. So we're going to do <laughs> this episode's going to be like the regular episode for July. Okay. And the next episode, we're going to talk about that other thing that's going on on the charts. Oh, you're going to get a Burnus episode? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. First song we're going to listen to. This is a band called Susie and the Banshees. We've heard them before. Yeah, on an episode I was on. We've heard them a couple times. Yeah. We heard yeah. Peekaboo. We heard that one where I feel like it was about catching frogs in the swamp. What was that song? I wasn't. Mm -mm. Yeah, and no, I think you were there, actually. <laughs> I was there again? I'm like your go-to Susie in the band. Apparently, banjo. yeah. Okay, I was definitely there. Okay, yeah, I have no idea what that song was. Okay. No, it was The Killing Jar. The Killing Jar. Yes. Is that, what did you say, frogs in a swamp? So, yeah, Peekaboo, Killing Jar, and now we're getting our third dose. And I'm okay with that. I'm not feeling overwhelmed quite no. yet on the Susie mm -mm. front. So we know this band was led by someone named Susie Sue. She was born Susan Janet Ballion. Ballion? Yeah, I would pronounce that Ballion. Okay. I don't know if she does. Definitely less mysterious. I mean, Susie is Susan and whatever. That's fine. But I mean, she turns Susan or Susie into Susie. Yeah. Right? That's much... I still say Susie. It's Susie. So it's Sue like if you were a the Native Indian. American. Yeah, okay. And then C, like S-I-E. So I guess it would be Susie. But I don't, you know, I'm not an expert. Yeah. I've never talked to her about it. Mm-mm. Now, also, there was another member of the band that stuck it out the whole time. Hmm. 
bass guitarist Steven Severin. They love those S's. That guy was born Steven John Bailey. Yeah, that makes sense. Severin. That sounds like a Harry Potter character. Absolutely. Though, right? He's yeah. Severus Snake. Yeah. Snape. S- Snape. Severus Snake. <laughs> He's going to sever a snake. Okay, but weren't they snakes? <laughs> what do you mean? Is it, what was their, their mascot? mascot? Mm. The Gryffindor. The Gryffindor Griffin. Uh-huh. The Hufflepuff Jigglypuff. Badger, the right? Ravenclaw Raven. Right. And the um, Slytherin. It's got to be snake. snake. Today. It's a Slytherin snake. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird if it wasn't, right? I mean, it was just so on the nose with that name. All right. So we got a couple members of uh, House, House Slytherin, Slytherin over here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The band was started in 1976 at a Malcolm McLaren hosted punk festival. Okay. This was a two-day event at the 100 Club. This is pretty amazing. After a band pulled out at the last minute, they needed someone to fill in. Susie and Severin were like, oh yeah, we'll do it. This sounds great. They had never played instruments before. Oh, brother. Ever. Like they didn't really have a band. They just were so into the scene and the idea. So what, she just got up and improved? Yeah, so they recruited Sid Vicious, future uh-huh. future Sex Pistol. He was not a Sex Pistol at the time. But he didn't know how to play either. No. They got future Adamant collaborator Marco Peroni, and everybody just improvised noise on the spot. No rehearsals, no nothing, didn't know how to play. She sang along? She recited the Lord's Prayer. Wow. <laughs> and I guess depending on who you ask, it was either a hot, steaming mess or... Totally fascinating and compelling. Or both. Or both, yeah. You never know. I'm sure she was a striking figure. Always. Yeah. Always. But that was the start. All right. Fast forward, what are we talking, 15 years? Yeah. And they're on their 10th studio album. Wow. Superstition. Pumping them out. This was their best-selling album in the U.S. Interesting. And the cover, I don't know if you've seen it, it is not what I would describe as Susie-esque. Okay. It is... Uh, is it pink? It's pink. Pink background. She's standing there in a yellow dress, very ungoth. Huh. But got positive critical reviews. Yeah. You know, in the Christine mm-hmm. video, she's wearing a lot of bright colors, that one. Yeah. But still, she somehow looks goth. I don't know. Pink background. That that says Hufflepuff to me. <laughs> is, is she switching houses? <laughs> No. I think she realized nobody wants to be Slytherin. No. The single we're going to hear off of this album is called Kiss Them For Me. Oh, love this one. This was their highest charting single in the U.S. It went to number 23 on the Hot 100. It was number one on the Modern Rock Charts for five weeks. And the song is a tribute to actress slash sex symbol Jane Mansfield. Yes, I knew this. I looked this up before. It shares a title with the... 1957 Mansfield Cary Grant film, Kiss Them For Me. Mm. Should we listen? Yeah. Here we go. Susie and the Banshees, Kiss Them For Me. J. 
generally speaking, I think the song itself is good. Mm-hmm. I love when Susie sings. It's immediately catchy. You know, I love the chorus. That's the good stuff. I'm not a huge fan of the production. It sounds really dated to me. And then there's that horrible breakdown. Oh, it's like not quite a rap, but it's... Yeah, for, I used to always think it was a rap. I've never heard it with headphones on. And now it's like, oh, it's like some chanting or something. I don't know. It's bad. It just like pulls you right out of the song. Not your thing? No. Okay. It didn't seem super jarring to me. Oh, it's always been super jarring for me. I'm like groove into the song, into it. And then it's like... But I I will say, generally speaking, I do not like it when a song totally changes and then they put in uh, a bad bad rap breakdown. Yeah. Just write a hip hop song if that's really your deal. One thing during this time period, especially with British music, Mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of things are either giving a nod toward or just fully stepping into like the Madchester baggy sound, you know, Happy Mondays and Stone Roses Uh and all these bands are kind of making a big splash. And so it's interesting to hear these established bands pivot in that direction and see how far they take it. Right. This one to me, it felt less goth, more More dancey. Absolutely. Than a lot of their earlier stuff. But there was also some Indian instrumentation on this song. Uh-huh. I like which, that. Sure, which is different than a lot of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. So this song featured Talvin Singh on tabla. You could hear the tabla quite a bit going through the song. Yeah. I should mention that we're going to probably hear from Talvin Singh again hmm. because this guy, I think he directed the strings and maybe also played tabla on Bjork's oh. debut album mm-hmm. in 1993. I spun that hard. Okay, moving on. That was five weeks at number one. We're not going to get to hear any more number ones for obvious reasons, but we do have a number two Okay. by a band we haven't heard from before. This is Crowded House. I don't know much about them. Crowded House was formed in Melbourne, Australia. It's not Melbourne, as I learned on 90 Day Fiance. Oh, pardon me. Pardon me. (laughs) Give it to me again. Where are they from? Melbourne. Melbourne, Australia. So this was in 84 or 85. They were originally called the Mullanes. It's a good idea to change that name. Yeah, Mullane's not a great name. Uh-uh. Crowded House's singer, Neil Finn, and their drummer, Paul Hester, they were members of the Australian slash New Zealand rock band Split Ends. Is it ends with a Z? It ends with a Z, yeah. Of course. But they're known, mm-hmm. right? And that band was around from 72 to 84. Mm-hmm. And Neil Finn, the singer from Crowded House, his So bro- he's old already. If he was in a band, it was in 1972. I don't think he joined right away. Okay. So his older brother, Tim, was the singer for Split Ends. All right. So Neil Finn and Paul Hester, they were soon joined by bassist Nick Seymour, who is the brother of Mark Seymour, the front man from the Australian band Hunters and Collectors. Okay. And you might be going, who are hunters and collectors? But you know what? They charted twice on the modern rock charts in 1988 and 1990. Oh. So we got a lot of uh, modern rock connections going on. In this yeah. Band. And those, it was like Australia heavier for a while. Yeah, for sure. Modern rock charts liked Australia mm-hmm. in 1990. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I guess at this point, the Mullanes, they moved to Los Angeles to record their first album. While there, they changed their name to Crowded House. 
named after their living conditions. Obviously. A crowded house. Uh-huh. Yes. And apparently Capitol Records did not see much potential in the band and didn't Oof. do a lot to promote their debut album until Don't Dream It's Over became a huge international hit and mm. went to number two in the U.S. Hey now, hey now, don't dream it's over. Hey now, hey now. Anyway, we've said this before about other songs, but it's bonkers to me that Capitol Records listens to Don't Dream It's Over, and they're like, mm, we don't hear a hit, guys. I'm not going to promote this one. Yeah, who's in that room? I don't know. Ugh. Bunch of dummies. It's just people that don't understand, care about, enjoy, appreciate music. Sure. Anyway, they had the record company's ear after that one for sure. So and then uh, they never did anything again. I mean, no. We're listening to them right now. Oh, okay. We're not going to hear Hey Now, Hey Now? No. Don't dream? Damn no. It. That was off their debut. Oh. So yeah, no, they had a big hit with that and then they put out some other stuff and some time went by. Mm-hmm. Crowded House is getting ready to write material for their third album. Okay. They write some stuff, submit it to the record company. Record company says, nope, throw it all out. We hate it. Sure. So singer Neil Finn, he's not quite sure what to do, but he had been working on like a side project with his brother, mm-hmm. Tim from, sure, Split, yeah. from Split Ends. I remember. Uh, that guy, yeah. <laughs> and Neil's like, uh, hey, could I use these songs that we've written together for the new Crowded House album? And so Tim's like, yeah, sure, you can use those songs if I get to be in Crowded House. And Neil's like, okay, sounds good. And so those songs became Crowded House's third album, Woodface. Okay. Which sounds like a really weird name. And then you see the album cover and you're like, obviously this album's called Woodface. It's a Woodface. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) And the result was a huge success in Australia. It was named the number three best Australian album of all time. And not just in Australia, this was named the number 80 best album in the world. By In the book, the all-time top 1,000 albums. Okay, it's number 80 out of 1,000. No, it's number 80 out of all of them. All of them. But it is in the book. Of 1,000. Yes. Got it. That's pretty good. That's very good. So the lead single, Chocolate Cake, that's what we're going to hear. It went to number two on the modern rock charts, but it wasn't particularly successful in the U.S. beyond that. And some people have suggested that it might be because the song is sort of a critique of Americans and American society. Oh, yeah. Americans don't care for that. Yeah. So they're like, oh, Australians, you're going to stick it to us? Well, we're not going to put your song on the radio. Right. America's Chocolate Cake? I guess I'll listen. We'll listen and maybe or maybe not we'll understand the lyrics and then we can see if we get it. Okay. Okay, so here it is. The number two modern rock hit, Crowded Houses, Chocolate Cake. I don't know what tune the orchestra Okay, first of all, yeah. did he say extra fat on your balls? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he said extra fat on your American bones. Okay, American bones seemed 
like it made more sense but your american balls seemed funnier for sure sure yeah i mean i think that sums up most americans <laughs> well, i was gonna say unless they had that line in there there's no way americans would know they're being made fun of yeah so i was listening to that like why, why would americans take offense to this and at first uh, i was like no one's gonna get any of this so it doesn't really yeah, matter it but then they're like okay tammy baker yeah when they said that she tammy baker was losing her faith i was like oh you know what 1991 yeah. i can see evangelists some, yeah some people being up in arms about this yes. and like protesting radio stations right that's the kind of thing that very well could have gone on absolutely that being said I feel like when I listen to the song, what I get out of it mostly is that I do want a piece of chocolate cake. They say it so much. Yeah, I'm feeling ready to put a little more fat on my American bones, honestly. (laughs) Also, I'm like, I didn't realize Crowded House was Blues Hammer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when they first started, I actually thought it sounded kind of like mid-period squeeze a little bit. Oh, that's not their greatest period squeeze their mid period (laughs) well it's no early period (laughs) exactly but what is right um yeah i don't know i mean it was sort of interesting there was a lot of cool stuff going on and the mix was kind of cool and yeah. it was jumping back and forth between the channels and yeah and um, did you hear the cow mooing i loved the cow mooing yeah <laughs> is that i, I don't know it's again for the americans i guess Burr. yeah I could do without all the fat phobia for sure. But that being said, I like the guy's voice. Sure. But you know what? You're right about the fat phobia. And also, here comes Mrs. Harry Legs. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that has to do with Americans. I thought that's what he said but, too, um, but I, I couldn't. I got some sort of chip on their shoulder. You know what it is? They probably hate themselves. They probably were a little overweight. They probably had hairy <laughs> legs. That's what it always comes down to. You know sure. what? People are homophobic. It's because they're gay. (laughs) People are like, you know, whatever it is. It's their own thing. It's their own thing. Right, right. Okay, so that was Chocolate Cake. Crowded House charted a few more times on the modern rock charts. They split up in 1996. They reformed a decade later, and they're still somewhat active. Uh, And supposedly a new album is due this year. I hope they put out an apology for the song. (laughs) They just take it back. I, I'm so sorry. Neil Finn, in addition to doing Crowded House, he fairly recently joined Fleetwood Mac mm. and along with heartbreaker Mike Campbell, replaced Lindsey Buckingham starting in 2018 and going to present day. So, Oh, dang. I know. Really what that says to me is like, Lindsey Buckingham takes Mike Campbell and Neil Finn to replace him. <laughs> like, that's incredible. Like, that says a lot about yeah. Buckingham. I mean, I guess he went his own way. <laughs> if you're not going to go your own way, <laughs> then I'm going to go mine. That's right. Okay. So if you were around back in 1991 listening to Modern Rock, you definitely heard Kiss Them For Me. You pretty much guaranteed her chocolate cake. Here's one. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you missed. Maybe you have not heard of this band. This might be a new one for you. Okay. Okay. We're going to hear a band called Candy Skins. They were formed in Oxford, England in 1989. Oxford, by the way, this is the same scene that produced Radiohead and Supergrass. Okay. Like a lot of bands we've talked about, they started a punk band after being inspired by the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. But after being broke uh-huh. <laughs> for a while, they got disillusioned. They called it quits. And then some number of years later, they all felt like something was missing in their lives. And they said, you know what? 
let's get the band back together again. Mm -hmm. Except this time, let's do like a 60s influenced proto Britpop sort of thing instead of punk. And uh, candy skins was the result. What's the candy skins? What does that mean? I don't know. What What do you think of when you hear candy skins? Does candy have a skin? Candy foreskins? Is that what, what you're going with? No, not necessarily. It's a foreskin. It's just like, it seems like something you don't want to eat. It just seems like a weird choice. <laughs> also, after reading Viv Albertine's book, anytime you say sex pistols, it's like, it feels like a room full of smegma. <laughs> <laughs> Every guy in that scene, she saw their dicks. It was just Fermunda cheese for days. Yeah, well, they should have cleaned their candy skins. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) All right, let's get back to uh, back to 1991. Candy skins put out their first album in 1991. It was called "The Space I'm In." The lead single, Submarine Song, is what we're going to hear. Okay. But they also covered Buffalo Springfield's For What It's Worth. Hmm. And I mentioned that for a couple of reasons. First of all is because their cover of For What It's Worth, they were apparently sued by the Rolling Stones because they sampled Mick Jagger doing that shriek thing that he does from Sympathy for the Devil. Oh, like, yeah, oh. yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. Um, and also... The music video for for what it's worth was directed by Samuel Bayer, uh-huh. who just about this exact same time directed a little music video called "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Uh huh. Starting to happen. Starting to happen. Yeah. Which we've been talking about every time. Every single time. Yeah, I, I'm playing a drinking game called "Did We Mention Nirvana?" Uh huh. <laughs> we did. If you want to have some fun, go back to the start of this show. <laughs> every time we say Nirvana, take a shot. All right, so we're going to hear the song Candy Skin's Submarine Song. Yeah, I liked it. Cool. I mean, when the music started right away, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, finally. Like to me- What's some guitar? Is that- Yes. Okay. I was excited. Like, this is going to rock. The last two songs did not rock. And I was happy to see that on the modern rock charts, Mm -hmm. that something's going to rock. Like when the vocals come in and the guitar goes way back, just like the bass and the drums. I'm like, oh, here's the 90s. Mm -hmm. The guy's voice is not super strong, but it's still lively. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And they're doing harmonies. And I think they sound like Fun Yeti. We should. <laughs> Next time, like anyone's like, who do you guys sound like? We'd be like, we sound like the Candy Skins. And then people would be like, oh my God, I have to look this band up. They're they're so cool. They sound like a band no one's heard of. That's interesting that you say that because to me, it's got a good sound. They got a pretty strong chorus. Um, this is the kind of thing that I would be happy to hear on the radio. Yeah. Right. But it's not like making me go buy a poster of them to put on my wall or like obsess about them or probably not even buy the album unless like they get to their third or fourth hit single, you know? Oh, totally. I feel the same way. And I would be happy if Fun Yeti wrote a song this good. And I think we've written songs this good and better Mm -hmm. and not as good, you know, (laughs) all the whole range. Sure, yeah. 
but it was like a similar vibe to me. Okay. So I got kind of like wrapped up in that a little bit, but I found both of the other songs had like jarring moments of instrumentation where I was like, cheese. And I didn't feel overwhelmed with cheese at any time right. during this. It wasn't too long. This is somewhat common, but I pretty much always like it, is uh, when the drums are like... Loved that too. It's just like a burst of energy. Yeah. What's the song about? I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't get all the lyrics either. They're like, what's kind of a 60s vibe thing? Submarine? Sure. Yeah, I walked through your dream and there was a submarine, but it wasn't my submarine. I don't know. I didn't even get that much. <laughs> no, so. no, I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what he said. I walked through a dream. I couldn't tell totally. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of interesting to me because I, I would never guess that these guys were English no, listening I to this either. song. Mm-mm. I would have thought that they were like from Ohio or something like that. Yeah, they sound you like know? Americans. Whereas if you listen to Supergrass. They sound super British. Yeah. So the Candy Skins... That was their first album. They put out four albums and they did hit the top 40 in the UK once with a song called Monday Morning. Okay. But they broke up in 1998, although not before landing a song uh-huh. in a key scene from Adam Sandler's The Water Boy. Oh. So even if you thought you've never heard the Candy Skins before, there's a good chance you have. I did see that movie once <laughs> and I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> was it the candy skins that turned you off? No, it was, it was Adam it was Sandler. Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> Water Boy was like, you know what he was? He's crazy pickle hand. And like he, that's. But, but Cajun. But Cajun, and he got a whole movie. Yeah. Like technically, Water Boy should have been a weekend update flash character. Sure. And you but know what? Got a whole movie. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not <laughs> an Adam Sandler hater. I actually really like The Wedding Singer a lot. Yeah. There's some other movies of his that I think are fine, too enjoyable. I mean, I've laughed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Submarine Song made it to number 9 on the Modern Rock Charts, and we've got one more song for you. This one only made it to number 23, and yet there may be a good chance that you've heard this one. Okay. This is by a band called Primus. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were formed in El Sobrante, which is apparently Spanish for something like surplus or the leftovers. The leftover town? Yeah. California. Yeah. They were formed in 1984. And El Sobrante is not really a town. It is an unincorporated CDP, which is okay. a census-designated place. Cool. So they seem like they are. Isn't that right? Yes. Like if you had to say, like, uh, take a guess, is Primus from an actual town or a <laughs> census-designated place? You'd be like, well, uh, obviously, yeah, those guys could only have come from an unincorporated CDP. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and originally, the band was called Primate. Ah. But there was already a band called The Primates. So Claypool pulled out a dictionary. He chose the closest thing to primates that he could find that sounded good. Ah, all right. Primus it was. I like it. Yeah. So a lot of band members came and went in the early days. Really? mm -hmm, Bassist, singer, Les Claypool was the only constant member. Okay. But by 1989, the classic Primus lineup was established. Yes. And that is- um, Larry. Larry Lalonde on guitar Uh and Tim Alexander on drums. I knew that. You did. Because I've seen Primus- a bunch of times. <laughs> oh, well, I can't wait to hear about that. Um, 
1991, Primus released their second studio album, Sailing the Sea of Cheese. Mm-hmm. We're going to hear a song from that album called Jerry, Jerry? Was a yes. Race Car Driver. <laughs> it reached number 23 on the modern rock charts. In spite of, or maybe because of, their oddball style and sense of humor, and also Les Claypool's unique and often stunning bass playing, Sailing the Sea of Cheese went gold, Uh selling over 500,000 copies in the U.S. I had a Primus t-shirt that I like wore threadbare. Really? Oh, yeah. Was it the Sailing the Sea of Cheese? It was not. It was one that had a map of Berkeley. It was kind of ugly. Mm -hmm. It was like vomit green yellow colored okay and then it just said primus on the front yeah you got that at a primus show i assume no i actually got it from my friend for my birthday and she was a jehovah's witness and was not allowed to buy birthday gifts so she stole it from her sister and gave it to me how sweet it was sweet her (laughs) sister was a real bitch so i was like nefarious i will take this shirt Yeah, if her sister was nice, she'd be like, oh, I can't I can't accept yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> her sister uh, was awful. Let's listen to Jerry was a race car driver and then we'll talk about the fourteen times you saw him. Live. I only saw him like four times, but I didn't meet uh, them. Oh. Here it is. Jerry was a race car driver. So I wasn't a huge Primus fan until I saw their Woodstock 94 performance. Same thing with Nine Inch Nails. When I saw their both of those bands, uh, Woodstock 94 performance, mm-hmm. I just like fell head over heels for these bands. They were so amazing live and they dealt with all the mud throwing yeah, really, really well. And like, I don't know, they seemed to embrace performing in a way that I'd never seen before. Yeah, Primus and mud throwing audience it seems like they were made for each other totally made for each other yeah yeah and the drummer he doesn't get hit with any mud because he's got one of those rush 29 piece kits (laughs) with like screw like those shields the plexiglass shit around him yeah nice (laughs) they anticipated no like they do it for sound oh it's like an isolation chamber on stage yes Wow. And like all this stuff, you know, and I was like, this guy's got a lot, a lot of drums. I've never seen anyone like work the drums like this. And Les Claypool was hilarious like the whole time. Just like the energy was amazing. Anytime they played in the Bay Area, I would go because no one ever came to Sacramento. So I would see them. There was no girls at these shows. That sounds about right. <laughs> so I was like, this is perfect because I was into guys. Yeah. So it worked for me. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, guess that's the way to do it, right? It's like sneaking into an all boys high school or something. (laughs) Right? That's kind of how it felt. I was like hanging out with all these skater dudes and it felt super fun. Mm -hmm. And I still enjoyed the music. So it wasn't like. Yeah, it's not like if you snuck into a. Slipknot. Okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's not like going to a Slipknot show. Which I've also seen. Good grief. (laughs) Ozfest, baby. Did you wear your mask? No, I went for the Manson. Okay. Back to Primus. Primus, sorry, Primus, Primus. Primus. Usually I would fight it out in mosh pits. I would get up close. I loved that. 
but Primus mosh pits were insane. There was no way I stuck in the back. Yeah. And you can feel here, but you just like, think about the four songs we listened to. This one rocks much harder. I mean, oh, you yeah. said the last one rocked harder compared to the first two, I mean, but this one is like so this is like a whole different level of rocking. Like you can feel the mosh pit. Like, oh yeah, you know, just listening to the song, it's a different thing and it's exciting. It is. That being said, I do not like the sound of this <laughs> at all. I would never ever like willingly pick out Primus and put this on. Yeah. I recognize the skill involved. Sure. And I really do appreciate the weirdness here. Oh, so weird. Like, I am genuinely thrilled that a song like this can be on the modern rock charts. Absolutely. Like, that's yeah. like people making oddball music, they should have a place where it can be heard. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I almost feel like they're the, they might be giants of metal. Okay. <laughs> Just so goofy. He's doing that accent. He sounds country, but he's like really playing a part. He's very much in character, you know, on stage. Yeah. So he doesn't talk like that necessarily. He talks somewhat like that, but he's playing it up. Wouldn't that be great if he had like a refined upper class British accent? That'd be amazing. (laughs) Well, really, I think. Jerry was a race car driver. (laughs) It's just funny too, because those guys... They seem like they're all super awkward. Mm-hmm. They don't interact mm-hmm. at all on stage. It's like Les Claypool stands and does his thing. The guitarist just like looks down most of the time and plays. And then the drummer's just like, I'm drumming behind my plexiglass. Yeah. Everyone's in their own world making that noise. Maybe they're playing three different songs and that's why it sounds <laughs> this way. <laughs> no, I mean, like the way he plays the bass, like watching him play is really, really cool. Yeah. No, I agree. I've seen. I mean, I've seen in a video of him playing. I like, yeah, I, it's impressive for sure. Yeah, it's so weird. So a couple more things. I think this is pretty well known, but Primus went on to record the theme song from South Park. Mm-hmm. So if you've never heard Primus before, but that bass playing sounded a little <laughs> familiar, um, that's because of South Park, right? <laughs> the other thing, and I think this is super cool. Primus is the only band with an ID3 genre tag named after them. So there's genre tags that'll mm-hmm. be like, you know, punk rock, oh. you know, grunge, metal, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There is a Primus genre tag for MP3s. <laughs> They're so hard to categorize. They just get listed as Primus. And then anything else that sounds kind of like Primus, you can tag them as Primus. Ah. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or whatever it is people do with podcasts, go on iTunes, give us a nice review or something. Also, I'm thinking about doing a bonus episode later on, kind of between seasons, where I catch up on some bands that maybe we overlooked and are never going to have another shot Mm -hmm. to be on the show. So if you can think of any song or band that you think deserves to be heard that fits into the modern rock genre and uh, charted or maybe didn't even chart if there's something we never featured in an episode and uh, you want us to spotlight send me an email this is modern rock at gmail.com tell me why you think this band or song uh, deserves to be heard or tell me a story about what it means to you and uh, i don't know maybe we'll put it in the show thanks again orly thanks so much for Thank joining you. me we'll catch you next time yep bye, bye.